brothers and sisters, I want to welcome you back to life, back to the one that can make your next chapter your best chapter, hallelujah. How can it be? Good morning, K Chapel. This is the day that the Lord has made. We are rejoicing and we are glad about it. I'm so glad that you have joined us this morning for this day of worship. Listen, you know that we started a new sermon series on last week, Let's Go to Church, and we're continuing now in this, our second service in this series where we're inviting you to make your virtual worship sacred. I pray that you are following along with us in our weekly study as well, and that you're accessing all of the resources that we're making available to you so that you will deepen your worship experience. But listen, it's time now to go to church. So let's get into the sanctuary and lift our hands. Let's go to church, y'all. Oh God, we come to give you our best praise. So everyone at home, come on, lift your hands in the sanctuary. Yeah. 
Good morning, K Chapel. I'm Brother Wicks, and I will bring you scripture and prayer. Our scripture comes from the book of John, fourth chapter, 21st through the 24th verse. And it reads, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now let us pray. The Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, this morning in spirit and in truth. We ask that you impart on us, Lord, only the grace that you can give, Lord. For those are out there now, Lord, that need you. We are those, Lord, that are sick in spirit and also sick in body, Lord. Be there for them, Lord. We ask that they open up their hearts so they can receive what you have to give, Lord. And Lord, we also ask you to help us to allow your good work to be seen and how we touch each of, your, each of your children, Lord. Lord, make this true for us, Lord. Make us work as you would have us work and let others see us see you in what we do, Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us all say, Amen. This is our tithe and offering period. It's time that we give to the God who gives so much to us. We ask that you give liberally and cheerfully, for God certainly loves a cheerful giver. There are any number of ways that you can give in our offering. You can give by the church app. You can give by texting the number on your screen, or you can mail your offering in or drop it off at the church. Won't you give now?
Let's have a prayer. Lord, we thank you for the offering that we have received, Lord. May it be used as you would intend it to be used, Lord. May it help those that are in need, Lord. And when I say help those that are in need, Lord, that's a physical need as well as spirit, Lord. Build this ministry, Lord, so that your perfect work can be seen in what we do, Lord. And for those who are unable to give, Lord, we pray for them as well. Because there's a time where we all must help each other. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us all say amen. Last week I shared with you the significance and the symbolism of water as revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures. In the online study notes that we provided for you, you saw that water is symbolic of spiritual cleansing, regeneration, and healing. I pray that last week you spent some time reflecting on the need to be washed and cleansed by the water of the Word of God and that you daily surrendered yourself asking the Lord to wash you again. Today I want to look at another element that was commonly used and referred to in Scripture to convey some spiritual truths about God and our worship of God. I want to talk this morning about light. So. If you will, go ahead and remove the candle that was in your Kate altar box. Depending on the type of box you received, you may have gotten a battery-powered candle or a traditional wick candle. Whichever it is, take a moment and light the candle now. Put it where you can see it while we go further into our worship experience. Now, if you have a traditional candle, please, please make sure that the candle's flame is not around anything that's flammable. Now that your candle is illuminated, let's, let's take a look and see what the Bible has to say about light. First of all, light represents revelation. Light represents revelation, God's revelation to man. Light dispels the darkness. It allows us to see more clearly, to discern what we are viewing to make sense of what's before us. Psalmist writes in Psalm 56 and 13, For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Walking in the light of God's revelation means following after his ways so that we don't stumble through life, stumble through choices, stumble through situations and issues and scenarios, but rather that we walk with assurance and confidence that we are on the lighted path that has been ordered by God. Secondly, light represents goodness. In, in, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Remember that Jesus not only declares himself to be the light of the world, but he bestows that same title upon you and me. He calls us salt, but he also calls us light. And as light, we are to demonstrate goodness. We are to model righteousness. We are to exemplify holiness. So let your light shine by demonstrating the love of God daily. And thirdly, light represents hope. If you were in an unfamiliar space or dark, unknown surroundings, light, light would be a welcome sign. Because light suggests that there's a way, a way out. Light is hope. Psalmist declares in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Light gives us hope when we face enemies. It gives us hope when we deal with life's disappointments. It gives us hope 
when we must walk through lonely valleys of desperation. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, which means that we can look to him when we are met with struggles, hardships, and disappointments, and have a living hope in the Lord of our salvation. But finally, and most importantly, light represents the word of God. The psalmist declares in Psalm 119 and 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You remember when God gave Moses instructions to build a tabernacle? Inside that tabernacle, this meeting space with God, uh, there was to be a golden lampstand that had seven candlesticks. The, the lampstand was to provide light or illumination for the priests to perform their priestly duties. But like all other tabernacle furniture, the golden lampstand was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Just as it gave forth light, Jesus tells the people, tells us, I am the light of the world. Whosoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So while the lampstand was a foreshadowing of Christ, it was also symbolic of the presence of God, for the Bible declares in 1 John 1 and 5 that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So the light was a critical element when entering the tabernacle. It not only provided illumination of the physical space, but it provided revelation of the spiritual experience. God is light, and in him there is no, no darkness. There is no wrong. There is no contradiction. There is no error, which which are all things that we can say about the Word of God. There is no error, there is no wrong, there is no contradiction. Because the Bible teaches us that God and His Word are one, for in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, then His Word, as the psalmist declares, is a light, a lamp. That as believers, we must look to, lean on, and live by. When you look to this light, let it be a reminder that God's word is truth. His word directs us through life's dilemmas and gives us hope for today and tomorrow. His word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. So make it your purpose each and every day to walk in the light of Christ.
Won't you join me in a moment of prayer? Now let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. You are my strength. You are my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Oftentimes when we begin our live stream and I'm inviting you to enter into the worship experience with us, you'll hear me say something like this, make your home your sanctuary. This morning, I want to talk about just that, what it means to make your home your sanctuary. And, and I want to share with you some of the hows and some of the whys of making your house your sanctuary. Because if you get this right, where your home becomes your sanctuary, where your home is your meeting place with God, where your home is the designated space of your God encounter, then you will discover a new depth of God's abiding presence and you will experience a sacredness in virtual worship that you may not have as of yet. Listen, when, when your home is your sanctuary, you may not experience all that you experience in the sanctuary at K Chapel, but, but even at home, worship will be for you what it was meant to be and it will do for you what it was intended to do. When your home is your sanctuary, worship will be rich and robust. Your worship will be saturating and satisfying. Your worship will be deep and devotional. Your worship will be passionate and purposeful. It will be enriching and empowering. It'll be renewing and restorative. It'll be spirit strengthening and soul stirring. So, so I want to start out by looking at three scriptures this morning that will help us to understand how God has both revealed himself and availed himself to be experienced by humanity, specifically through the sacred space we call the sanctuary. So what is the sanctuary? First time we hear that word and see that word in the Bible, sanctuary, it's, it's in the book of Exodus, chapter 25. God has already led the Hebrew people out of Egypt and is now revealing to Moses his desire to interact with the people. God does not want to be a detached, a distanced, or hard-to-reach God. Rather, God wants to be involved. He wants to be invested. He wants to be engaged in the lives of his people. So, so he gives Moses instructions to build a tabernacle, a, a tent actually, that would serve as the meeting place between God and man. God says to Moses in Exodus 25 and 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Listen to that. Let them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. God wants to be with and among his people. That's the first thing to recognize about the sanctuary, that it's God's own idea to establish a place where we could meet with him and he could meet with us. Through the sanctuary, God gives us access to meet with him. God gives us the sanctuary because he wants us to have an encounter with him. Sanctuary is given because he wants you to experience him. He wants you to enter into his presence with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. He wants you to feel his power and experience his presence. He, he wants you and me to hear his voice and encounter his holiness. God gives us the sanctuary as a place to meet with him. Let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now, Here's another part to that verse. We should not casually read over. God says, build this sanctuary so that I may dwell among them, live among them, exist among them, be among them. This is so important because so many times when we think about the presence of God, especially as it relates to the worship experience, we, we think that God shows up when we have worshiped him correctly when we have sung the right songs in the right order, when, when we have set the atmosphere, when we have created the right context by praying the right prayers and having the right heart, then, then poof, just like a genie out of a bottle, God shows up. Listen, first of all, understand that God's presence with his people is not because of the efforts that we bring to worship. His presence is not because of a particular series of songs that we use to bring praises to him. God's presence does not correlate with the amount of physical effort that we exert. It's kind of like when Elijah was 
mocking the prophets of Baal when they had that contest to see whose God was the true God. And, and the prophets of Baal began cutting on themselves to get their God's attention and their God still did not show up. God doesn't come because of our performance. But God inhabits the praises, scripture readings, the prayers, the preaching, singing, and any other scripturally ordained means of worship that we bring to him by faith because he has promised to do so. God has chosen to make his dwelling on earth with his people, and he's promised to be with us. That's why when the psalmist says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, you can open your mouth and not worry about the note that's being sung because God has not, God has chosen rather to make his dwelling place among us, not based on our performance, but based on his promise. It's not dependent on how well we worship, but it's based on his desire to dwell among us. But secondly, God says, my sanctuary is not a place that I visit. It's a place where I dwell. It's not a place where I show up. It's a place where I am. It's, it's not a place where I pop up sporadically, but it's a place where I set up permanently. It's not a place where I make guest appearances. It's a place where I establish my residency. So, so as a believer, when I make my home, my sanctuary, I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, move in. Don't just visit me on occasion, but move in. Don't just stop by from time to time, but move in. Don't just be a guest, but God be a resident in my house. Live here, dwell here, abide here. God be in my presence. When you keep reading that chapter, God gives specific instructions about the construction of this sanctuary. He says to Moses in verse 22, after you've done all of this and you've built the sanctuary according to these specifications, verse 22 says, and there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from the mercy seat. God says, after you build this sanctuary the way that I've instructed you to build it, I'll meet you. So God establishes this idea early on that he desires to be in relationship with man, that he will dwell among and with us when we obey his instructions to build a sacred space, a sanctuary. But God later reveals something about himself in scripture in the book of Ezekiel. And this is the second passage, chapter number 12. God says in verse 16, although I have cast them afar off from uh, among the heathen, and although I've scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. In this passage, children of Israel have become exiles in Babylon. God says to them that while they are exiles in a foreign land where they don't have access to the physical place established for worship, that God would become for them that sacred space. Listen to it again. I will be for them as a little sanctuary. God says, when my people can't assemble <laughs> in the place that serves as a place of worship and refuge and restoration, he says that I will become that for them. It's, it's an amazing revelation of how God avails himself to us, basically saying that, that we don't have to rely on the bricks and the mortar when we're broken and we're, when we're in misery because he is our sanctuary. We don't have to have pews and pulpits when we're sorrowful and sad because he is our sanctuary. We don't have to have choirs and instruments when our spirits are disquieted and our hearts are anxious because God is our sanctuary. God says, I will be for them everything that the sanctuary has provided for them. If the sanctuary provided refuge, then the Bible says God is a refuge and a very present help in time of trouble. If the sanctuary has provided peace, the Bible says he will keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. If, if the sanctuary has provided calm, the Bible says cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. If the sanctuary has provided illumination, the Bible says God is a light and in him there is no darkness. If the sanctuary has provided connection, the Bible says if a man abide in me, he will produce much fruit. If the sanctuary has provided for you friendship, the Bible declares there is a friend that <laughs> stick it closer than any brother. Whatever the sanctuary has provided, 
God says, that's what I'll be for you. You need inspiration? God says, with me, all things are possible. Whatever you got from the sanctuary, he says, you'll get it now from me. I'll be your peace. I'll be your joy. I'll be your hope. I'll be your light. I will be your friend. I will be your refuge. I will be for you in your home, whatever you experienced of me in the sanctuary. And then in a third scripture, I want us to look at Jesus. Jesus comes along one day and in John's gospel, John chapter four, while in conversation with woman at a well, Jesus makes this statement. He says, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. In essence, what Jesus says is, it's time that we understand that God is not confined to any location. He's not restricted to any structure. God is spirit. And if we're going to worship God, we cannot be stuck on where we worship him. We cannot be consumed with where we are or aren't meeting. It's not the mountain we're meeting on that allows us to experience God because God is spirit. It's not the place where we're assembling because God is spirit. It's not the building where we're congregating because God is spirit. And this might be a newsflash for someone, but, but God is not bound up in a building waiting for you to come and visit him. God is not tied up to some temple waiting for people to stop by on Sunday mornings. God is not chained to some church waiting for the virus to be over so people can come back and commune with him. God is not sitting alone in the sanctuary at 1000 West Ridgeway Street waiting for us to come back to him. But God is with us where we are. And the good news is that when it becomes impossible for man to come to the sanctuary, that God reveals that he is not tethered to tents, tabernacles, or temples. He is not confined by curtains or regulated even by our rituals, but that he is a spirit and no matter where I am, no matter where I'm not, I can worship him because he's there with me. And so in these three passages, we see God's engagement with humanity shift from rules and rituals in the Old Testament to a relationship in the New Testament from a specific place to an internal space, from a physical structure to an open spirit. So since we're meeting virtually and for the most part, you're watching us from your homes, from your apartments, wherever you are, the question now becomes, how do you make your space, your place, your sanctuary? The good news is you don't have to buy anything. You don't need to go get any church furniture and, and set it up in your house. You don't have to install any pews or put a cross on the wall. Changing your decor is not necessary. In fact, a quick study in the New Testament reveals that people have been having church in their houses for a long time. Actually, the word church in the New Testament is a translation of a word, ecclesia which means called out ones or assembly. The ecclesia or the church of the New Testament never refers to a building or a place, but rather to a people, which is why it didn't matter where they assembled. Church happened wherever the people of God gathered. And most times in the early church, they gathered in their homes. Look at various scriptures. Romans 16 and 5 says, greet also the church in their house. 1 Corinthians 16 and 19, the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house. Colossians 4 and 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nymphus and the church in her house. Philemon 1 and 2, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Over and over again, these letters written by Paul were delivered not to buildings with street addresses, but to church in people's houses. These greetings were not sent to a building constructed for the purpose of public worship, but to people who gather together in their own houses for worship. So in this season, we're actually connecting to a part of church history where God used worship in people's houses 
as the primary means to make his power and presence known. And in their houses, God showed up. In their houses, God moved. In their houses, the Holy Spirit fell. In their houses, cloven tongues of fire came down. In their houses, people were delivered. In their houses, they had prayer meetings. They, they healed people of sicknesses. They're, in their houses, they cast demons out. They, they shared communion. They, they lifted up holy hands. They, they sang hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. In their houses, they danced unto the Lord. In their houses, they made a joyful noise unto God. In their houses, they worshiped the Almighty God. And I need to tell somebody this morning, recognize that right now, that if God met them in their houses, he'll meet you in yours. If God moved in their houses, he will move in yours. If the Holy Spirit fell in their houses, the Holy Spirit will fall in yours. If they heard from the Lord in their house, you can hear from the Lord in your house. They met God in their houses. A few things that you need to do if you're going to make your house your sanctuary. First of all, make your house a place of gladness. Psalm number 122 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Watch this, read it again, because it doesn't say that I was glad when I got to the house of the Lord. He says, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. The Psalm says, that getting ready to go to the house brought about gladness. It caused joy. It made him happy. When I knew that we were making our way to the house, I was glad. When I knew that the hour for worship was near, I was glad. In other words, it's not being at the church that made me glad. It's being on my way there. It's, being in, it's not being in the building that made me glad. It's getting ready that made me glad. It's, it's not being in the church. It's knowing that what happens as God meets me here, that's what makes me glad. It's the anticipation, the expectation of meeting the Lord that makes me glad. The recognition that God is going to meet with me, have a conversation with me, talk with me. That's what makes me glad. So since we aren't going to our physical buildings, our church buildings, but we have church in our homes, the challenge to make your house a place of gladness. And gladness isn't just about your emotional status. It's about your spiritual condition. Your spiritual condition helps to accentuate the character and the context of your home. Have you ever, have you ever gone somewhere and you just felt the negative energy when you entered that space? I mean, you felt the tension when you came into the room or, or you felt the unwelcome spirit and the the people were ice cold and their the receptivity of you was ice cold. You, you knew it when you walked into the space. The, the spiritual temperature of that room is, is oftentimes indicative of the spiritual condition of the people in it. If the room is cold, so are the people. The room is hostile, so are the people. If the room is negative, so are the people. If you feel pessimism, you sense hostility, you perceive the tension, check the people in the room because our homes are not to be those kinds of spaces. Our homes should be places of gladness, places to encourage, places that inspire, places that invite encounters with the Holy God. And if they aren't these things, then it's an indication of what's in the room. Here's the good news. Making our homes places of gladness doesn't require a makeover of, of your design aesthetic, but it may require an overhaul of your disposition such that you carry an attitude of gladness. That you and those around you have a mind ready to forgive those who have hurt you. That you and those around you have a heart ready to be reconciled. That you and those around you have a spirit that is open, open to hearing the truth, open to being convicted, open to repenting of your wrong, open to walking by faith, open to seeing things differently, open to letting God move in your life and, and have his way in your home. Making your house a house and a place of gladness means 
that your life is a sweet-smelling fragrance in the nostrils of God. You ever gone to these places, uh, stores like Kirkland's or, or Hallmark or, or Pure One? Usually when you walk into any of those types of stores, you're immediately greeted not by a person, but by a fragrance. The idea being that the right fragrance puts you in the right frame of mind, the mental space for creating lasting memories at home with the people you love. Listen, gladness is the perfume that invites the power and the presence and the purposes of God in your personal spaces and prepares us to have lasting and memorable encounters with the God we love. Gladness says to the Lord, you're welcome here. Gladness says, the door to my heart is open to you. Gladness says, I'm looking forward to spending some time with you today, and I'm glad that you're here. Another psalm instructs us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Again, there is this idea that when it comes to worshiping God, that we need to have the right disposition, the right attitude, the right fragrance about our personalities that, that make us pleasing unto the Lord. That's why it's important to say, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. And with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Secondly, to make, to make your home your sanctuary. Number two, make your home a place of refuge. The word sanctuary, in fact, means Refuge. A sanctuary is a place for fugitives to come and find protection. With everything that's happening in our world, in our nation, in our city, we can sometimes feel like, like we need refuge and respite. We need what the sanctuary offers. The, the fatigued soul needs sanctuary. The desperate soul needs sanctuary. The weary soul needs sanctuary. The lonely soul, the the forlorn soul need sanctuary, refuge, protection, coverage. And when you allow the Lord to set up residency in your home, it becomes a sanctuary, the place where God gives you refuge. The psalmist declares in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Making your home a refuge is as easy as saying, Lord, live here. Because when he lives in your home, he becomes your refuge. Lord, live here, dwell here, abide here. And in so doing, be my refuge. So when I'm stressed, Lord, be my refuge. When I'm in trouble, Lord, be my refuge. When I'm being attacked, God, be my refuge. Finally, thirdly, make your home your sanctuary by making it a place of stillness. A place of stillness. The world is a busy place. On the move. This after the next. Busy here, busy there. And when we finish with the busyness of the day, we come home and we seem to pick up where we left off with the business of our home. And we need to be intentional about creating some still, quiet places. Some, some space and some time when, when things are just shut down. You know, and, and that can be a hard thing because we, we really like to feel space with things. To feel time and space with noise, to feel space with furniture. We, we don't like empty spaces, but, but that's exactly what we need if we're going to have some sanctuary. It's an interesting thing that when Elijah, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, when he's looking to hear from God, the text says something like, and the earthquake came, but God wasn't in the earthquake. The, the storm came, but God wasn't in the storm. The winds came, but God wasn't in the, in the winds. Then it says, uh, but after the fire and after all of that, there was the still small voice. Still small voice, a quiet, not a thunderous clap from heaven, but a still small voice. 
If you're going to experience God in your home, you got to make some time and make some space by not filling every moment with noise. You got to take some time, make some space where you turn the TV off, where you pull the earbuds out of your ears, where you get quiet and you allow the questions on your mind, the anxieties on your heart to be spoken to God in still, quiet spaces. And in those quiet moments, when you dare to pause, reflect, meditate, and hear, God will speak to you. Every moment doesn't have to be a loud moment. Some should just be quiet, still spaces. And it's when you get quiet that God will speak up. So make your home your sanctuary. Make your space your refuge, a place of stillness, a place of cover and protection, a place where you invite God not to pop up, but to set up shop, to dwell with you, where you can say on any given day, God is here. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Give you his peace. God is with us. He's in your home. He's in your heart. Perhaps you have felt the Lord pulling at your heart, knocking on the door of your heart. Because, as always, He desires to have relationships with us. If you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I want to invite you to do that this morning. God is with you. And he wants to be not only your friend, but your father and Jesus as your redeemer. So why don't you pray this prayer with me now? Father, in the name of Jesus, I give my heart to you now. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for coming into my home and my heart. And right now, Lord, I accept Jesus as my savior. I believe him to be the son of God. I believe he died on a cross for my sins. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And right now, I claim him to be my savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I wanna welcome you to the family of faith, the body of Christ, the church of God. I want you to do one more thing and call the number that's on your screen because there's someone there who wants to speak with you and give you next steps in order to know how to live out your new walk and your new faith in Christ. We're thankful that you've made this decision. You've made this choice. We want to help you now to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Call the number. We're waiting to hear from you. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. I also want to encourage you that wherever you are, your house, 
your home, your apartment, your dwelling space. Make that your personal sanctuary. Consecrate it. Set it aside and ask God to meet you there. And I promise you, he will. And now may the grace of God, the sweet communion of his Holy Spirit, rest, rule, and abide with each of you, now, henceforth, and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go in peace.